Hello and welcome to another stay-at-home order Tales from the Ruther Library, a podcast that was coming straight from the Ruther Library at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. But for now, we are coming to you from the burbs of Detroit. My name is Dan Galadner, and I'll be your host today along with the techie queen, Troy Eller-English. Hi, Troy. Hey, Dan. How's your sanctuary going? Oh, it's just delightful. I have been... uh, Feeding my sourdough starter like a madwoman. <laughs> I, I think half of America has discovered sourdough, and um, we're going to have a resurgence of the sourdough. You know, we're, we're going to beat San Francisco out now. Um, <laughs> all right. Today's episode is with Shay Rafferty, our labor and urban affairs archivist. Um, last podcast was when we talked with Lewis Jones, our field archivist, about how he brought in collections and talked about that stuff. But, Troy and I started talking and it's like, well, there's a lot more that goes on from the point of a box coming into the archives and a box being ready for research to look at it. So we decided we needed to talk to Shay. Now, Shay talks to us about putting these collections into a state of usability and redoing our finding aids to better describe the content of the boxes. I mean, so many times we hear about people talking about finding things in the dusty archives. So this is how, you know, Shay is going to tell us how it's not that myth of finding and uh, discovering things. We know they're there, and, and Shay's the one helping us find it there. So here's Shay Rafferty telling us what we do behind the scenes to get society their memories. Hi, Shay, over the internet. How are you doing? Hi, Dan. I'm doing pretty well. I'm actually yeah. in Chicago working from home for a few weeks. Right. Now, that's pretty good telecommuting there. I like that. Yeah. All right. We are talking to Shay. Shay, what do you do again at the Walter Ruther Library? We haven't really talked about what you do. Uh, so my title is the Labor and Urban Affairs Collections Archivist, and uh, essentially that means I work with all of our collections that pertain to uh, Detroit area or labor, with the exception of labor unions that already have an archivist at the Ruther Library working with them, like you, Dan. Yeah, okay. Um, so a big portion of my job is managing the backlog of these unprocessed collections that come in that Lewis brings in and I work to process them and make them accessible to the public. That's a nice nutshell. That's a nice elevator speech. I like that. Um, yeah. So we talked to Lewis and we just posted that podcast listeners. You got to listen to Lewis's uh, podcast. Um, he talked about the collections that he brought in and are now open, but there is a big gap in the story here. Um, it's basically what you do is you do much of the behind the scenes stuff with the collections. Um, so for the curious people out there, what goes on behind these big thick walls? Like, you know, how, how do you decide what to process? That is a good question, Dan. Uh, a lot goes into making, uh, into the making of those decisions about what we process next. Uh, Lewis brings in so much great material and we, unfortunately there's, only one. I mean, I can only do so much at a time. So um, how does one decide? Uh, A lot of the time, actually, there's a lot of different factors. So size of the collection, the uniqueness of the material, the needs of the researchers, the condition of the material donated, uh, related current events, 
All of these pieces of information factor into my decision making and are all really important considerations. Uh, so sometimes one of these factors will kind of trump the other ones and bump a collection into a higher kind of priority of processing um, in any kind of given day or month, depending on what's going on. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah. like if I'm working on a big non-processing task at work, sometimes I will work on smaller collections so that I can kind of still quickly open a collection with the amount of time I still have available. Uh, sometimes there's a big anniversary celebration going on for an organization or we're commemorating an event and those are really good reasons to, and if a collection is relevant to one of those events, it's a really good reason to kind of prioritize that collection uh, at the, at the time. So uh, at the end of the day, I guess all these different factors kind of come together and it's really just me trying to meet the needs of researchers to the best of my abilities and judgments. So basically you're playing God with history. A little bit. <laughs> That's a huge weight on your shoulders, don't you think? Uh, if, if I think about it too much. <laughs> um, all right. What do you mean by processing? I mean, we have listeners who use our collections and we might have some people who are just trying to be archivists, become archivists. So why don't you give us your best elevator speech of basically what we do majority of the time? Well, uh, believe it or not, Dan, I get to use this elevator speech a lot because a lot of people I meet do not know what an archivist is or does. Mm -hmm. Every time I explain my job, I have to keep trying to get a little bit better at this. Um, Usually I try to explain to people that processing is helping historic materials become available for use to the public. Uh, This material could be letters, photographs, you know, meeting agendas and memos, etc., Uh, sometimes it's brought in and it's super orderly and clear what I'm looking at other times and more often than not the material is kind of messy either large piles of paper that's loose in a box or just interesting mix of someone's life's work or decades of an organization's work that's all been kind of jumbled together with little order usually ask people just to like imagine what it would be like if they tried to donate their own kind Mm -hmm. of what papers or material they have at home and what that would look like um But my job is really to organize that material in a way that if you wanted to find something about a certain person or an organization, I can point you to the right location. You know, for example, if you were looking for an event, the NAACP Detroit branch put on in 1998, I could tell you, hey, take a look in box 81, there's 53 through 58. Uh, That's probably not actually accurate, but I was about to ask. That's pretty good. (laughs) I wish I could tell you exactly off the top of my head, but I can't. That, that's that's that sums it up perfectly i think um all right so you go through all these collections big messes sometimes sometimes in mm-hmm. order, as you were saying um have you found anything really interesting or cool in some of these collections hair follicles so. <laughs> i think i've definitely come across some hair although sometimes you can't tell if it's your own or if it's someone else's <laughs> i'm usually not too often though thankfully i know we have a colleague who has found uh, a great deal of human tissue to put it in. yes yuck yeah <laughs> fortunately um, i have been spared that but i do find interesting things all the time um you know sometimes it's just really old forms of technology that i have no idea ever existed and have to spend some time with google trying to identify you know weird sized floppy disks or other fun things uh sometimes you come across really like heartfelt letters to friends or family that really show you a lot about insight either into an event or a person's life uh, I think somewhat recently I found a scrapbook of this group of like friends who were all worked as theater ushers in the early 1900s. 
And it was really cool just to see all these photos of their like friendship and their summer together because it there's so many similarities to how people still interact now. And I found that kind of surprising that uh, sometimes I think of the early 1900s being a bit more conservative, but right. these young men were having a lot of fun. That's pretty cool. That's that's great. See, that's part of the fun part that we do, right? And we find yeah. these kind of things that remind us that we're all humans in a way. Um, but you found a really cool thing. It reminds me, you found a really cool thing while you're doing redoing a collection because I can't remember why you were doing it. Maybe the, the guide was old, confusing. Whoever did it 20, 30, 40 years ago didn't do a really well, good job. But you found something really cool. And uh, what, what was that? Yeah. Um, so I found um, they were not labeled super well. They were kind of, I think they were called Barometer Journal. And I was like, that sounds kind of like a publication. But I was having trouble tracking down the folders just because they didn't seem to be in one of the normal boxes. Uh, turns out they were like oversized material. So they had been shifted into their own box to accommodate their size. Mm-hmm. They're other than kind of the normal letter or file, uh, legal size files. Um, and they turned out to be these giant charts that were compiled by um, a portion of the Detroit Commission on Community Relations. That's wasn't its name at the time. That's the name of the collection. But um, these charts documented uh, incidents of racial tension after the 1943 riot in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So they documented the location, who was involved, weapons, if any of them were used, the time and day of the incident, you know, brief description. There was other details too. And it was just this really cool compilation that they listed for, I think, the, at least a year afterwards, if not like a year and a half or so. Um, it just like none of us even really knew we had it in the building at some point and it kind of like dropped off our radar yeah so it was it was really cool to uncover and I was able to show our reference archivist and a number of researchers have been able to kind of take a look at it since then which is great and I was also able to add some additional detail to the finding aids so that it's um a little bit easier to find now and people can have a better idea of what they're looking at when they see it on the finding aid Exactly. So that's that's part of what you do. Yeah, you find something and you guide them closer. I mean, back then, maybe they they were taking exactly what it was called and didn't flush it out. And now we're kind of going back and flushing more things out for people, especially yeah. as research changes. But that's such a cool find. It was so amazing. I remember looking at that. We were just all dumbfounded. Yeah. The information, the content that was in it. That was so cool. neat. So, all right. Yeah. So you have all these cool things back at the Ruther. We are all working from home nowadays or maintaining from home. What What are you excited about doing when you return? I mean, um, what are those things that you can't wait to do when you get back and try to like help with researchers or collections you're dying to get back into? Yeah, probably not a big surprise, but I'm really looking forward to getting back to processing. Uh, <laughs> there are parts of my job I can do remotely, uh, including like improving finding aids and the way we describe our collections, but processing collections can only be done in the building. These materials are you know, important and unique and cannot come home with me. So I'm really looking forward to getting back to working on some collections I've been working on, including a 500 box collection that is taking some time, but hopefully will be good when I get to finish it. And, uh, you know, we have some other really great collections in the works as well. So. I know you're really looking forward to that big collection. That's all you've been talking about, how much you love that collection working. On. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit of, it's a little messy here and there, but uh, there's definitely some really good information in it. It's, 
you know, sometimes they just take a little bit longer than you you expect. But that's true. You never know. Each box is a little different. So yes. Okay, folks. So Shay is about to open a gigantic collection coming soon. So let's not say just written. about. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Shay, for joining us from Chicago. Yes. Thanks for having me. Tales from the Ruther Library is a production of the Walter P. Ruther Library of Labor and Urban Affairs at Wayne State University, coming to you from the heart of the Cultural Center of Detroit, Michigan. The producers of Tales from the Ruther Library are Dan Glogner and Troy Eller-English. Special assistance from the Ruther Podcast Collective, including Bart Bilmer, Elizabeth Clemens, Megan Courtney, and Paul Neering. Of course, this podcast could not be done without the research and the support of the entire Ruther Library staff. To learn more about the Ruther Library, or if you have any questions, please visit our website at www.ruther.wayne.edu. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye, Dan. Goodbye, Dan. I'm in the dining room, which is an echo chamber. I have my laptop in a box and right. I have my blankets. Well so. done. Oh, damn it, it's falling apart. <laughs> my, t- my fort is falling apart. <laughs> Shay, you have to make up a lot of mess ups now, okay? Perfect. Perfect. You'll be I'm fine. Sure I'm sure I'll manage. You'll, you'll be great. You always are. You, you're the best. Podcasts are my favorite. I thought I got all-purpose flour but i actually got whole wheat flour and then i thought i grabbed garlic hummus but it was actually jalapeno hummus so maybe i should wear my glasses next time i think we learned a lesson didn't we it was very stressful going grocery shopping it was very stressful um i was not prepared for the uh the stress of making sourdough what do you mean? Like constant, I constantly have to, you know, monitor the temperature around it, go make sure it's nice and warm and cozy. Check the time. Oh, it's time to feed the sourdough.